Welcome back to the Fully Reflective Podcast. I'm here with this amazing alchemical brother named Octavio Pisano. Uh, he and I met some time back, but we'll probably get into that as it's relevant. How you doing today, bro? How you feeling right now in this moment? I'm good. I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I'm about to go back to work, so there's always a, a sort of an anxiety right before. And you've had some time off, and it kind of goes a little time off, and then you d- dive back in? Yeah, we. I, I had an episode off right before the break, and then we have about two weeks of a break. It's been like three, three and a half weeks of me not working. Wow. And for those who don't know, who are you in terms of what your work is and what's this work you're about to dive back into? Uh, well, my name is Octavio Pisano. I'm an actor. I've been on the last season of SVU, Law and Order SVU, which is a crazy thing to say now. Um, yeah, it's what brought me to New York and we're halfway done with season 23. So we'll see. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, fast segue right into it. I feel like I have such a privilege and it's definitely part of the character that I've been appointed as, but I've been had this privilege to witness the behind the scenes that goes into a moment that others might just see as a thing called success, but the blossoming is such a process. And I mean, what was it like for you? Well, just quick context. You know, about a year ago, I was talking to you and we're, we're thinking of things that we can do to make a film or do something because I think you were working at a car wash, yeah? Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because I just, I just reflect on the whole year because of, you know, New Year's Eve. Right. And uh, last year I directed my first feature film. I opened up the year with that. I went to Florida to shoot a film that I wrote. Right. And fast forward three months I basically uh, went broke you know I ran out of money and I had to take down a job in California washing cars which was the only thing that allowed me to audition and keep doing what I was doing and then after that I wasn't even a week into working that job and I got a call from my manager and uh, there was an offer on the table for Dick Wolf project and that ended up being this, which is his baby. A week later, I was packing my stuff and I was moving across country to New York. That's been the last six months of my life. It's been crazy. A real roller coaster. So you've experienced the literal thing called a dream come true with this project at least. Yeah, I mean, the, the right. dream always seems great from the outside. You know, it all comes with its own struggles and everything, um, especially during these times. But yeah, I, I literally went from having nothing on my bank account and taking a job as a you know, washing cars to being a lead on the TV show. And not just any TV show, but a, a, a very well-oiled machine that's been going for 23 years, you know, right. and uh, yeah, I guess it, got, it happened overnight, but it, it's been it's been a long time coming, right? I, I see a nice door handle there. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, you're a multimedia expressionist. I don't know if many people use that term, but I use that term because I see those sticky notes on the wall. I see that painting on the wall. You have a, yeah. you have a beautiful young daughter. You, you make your food, you dress yourself, you right. probably shave your beard, uh, right. probably brush your own teeth. You are probably driving cars. So it's in all these different ways, um, you know, someone's told me, I'm sure they told you, it's like, you got to focus on one thing. And there's an incredible amount of value in that sentiment of just focusing on one thing, but it's just not how life works. Yeah, we can focus on right. one thing, but it's so many things that go into you getting a job on Law and Order. It had to be, right. you had to, you had to make the film. You had to, and even before, you know, it was a couple of years ago, you got that um, investment and you had made that short film with Jess and put everything into that, thought that that was going to be it and it didn't be it, but that ended up coming back later and helped people uh, that ended up wanting to hire you to, you know, you know, direct and write and start. You had to fail at the other thing, but it was never a failure. It just wasn't what it was, yeah, right. what you wanted it, or thought it was going to be in the moment. Um, I'll never forget, uh, I'm pretty sure I was just there and then I saw you at Whole Foods, or no, did we intentionally meet at Whole Foods that morning? No, we ran into each other. We ran into each other at Burbank, at Whole Foods. This is probably, was this this past summer or before? No. This is is two years ago, maybe. Two summers ago. So summer 2019. you were like in it you were like you had spent that money you your car had gotten towed you were you were talking about just struggling as to where food was coming from that evening and not just for yourself but for your lady and your and your daughter and right 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 right, right. so i'm I'm building a palette of a question it's not really, it's not really a question it's like, i call it a baton because it's, it's just a, a theme and a right. frequency to then look into but um you know your paintings are so I don't think you, I never saw you painting five years ago, but it's this all, ultimately it's all one flower, call it, that you had to pollinate one, one angle at a time. But um, now, now it's led to a thing where you're call it corporate art, if you will, you know, it's, it's like a big business, big business art. Um, art. And, and probably a lot of people envy that. A lot of people could probably say, oh, I wish I had a, you know, how many actors in LA are there right now that said, oh, what I would do to get a job on, you know, a TV show that, that insures my bills or whatever. Speak, speak a bit, if you will, on, on that frequency of like, I'll take, I'll take that baton because actually that's been happening. You don't have to go that far to actors in LA, but actors on the set that come in as, as guest stars, and they look at me and they say, oh my God, you're so blessed because you, you know, you're a series regular and you're, you're on the show. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, I mean, we're both doing this scene right now without all the extra ideas and terminologies, we're both in the scene and guess what? The scene is yours. I'm just holding the space for you. I'm just there so that you can have this amazing performance, you know? But meanwhile, in between takes, your mind is going, oh, but I wanna be in your position. I'm like, no, right now, I want to be in your position because you got the meat of the scene. You know what I mean? So it's all about perspective. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think part of how, you know, where we met and 
with Steven Anderson being one of the most influential actors or coaches in my life, he taught me to approach life as an artist. He didn't teach me that, he reminded me of it because I always did when I was a kid, everything I approached without even labeling it as such or, or calling it what it is, is, I just, I was an artist, right? I was painting when I was a kid and I was doodling. I was, uh, I was creating worlds in my living room with, with little action figures and, and, you know, Legos. And I was always creating, I was always daydreaming. I was always fantasizing. I just didn't know there was an actual career path or an actual way of making a living being that. Um, but now, Whereas I was doing that as a kid unconsciously, now I'm doing it consciously, right? So I, pro I approach life as an artist. I approach parenting as an artist. I approach driving down the street as an artist, right? And, and you're always outward directed. You're always considering other beings and, and not being driven by your own ego desires, you know? So whether you're cooking a meal or you're playing with your kid or you're writing a script or you're painting, it's all an expression of who you are if you're approaching it that way. Which I would call that integral. Um, right. Integral, first time I ever heard that term was a philosopher dude named Ken Wilber. And I did my best to digest his books. It's a little heady, a lot, really heady actually. But very heady. I, very heady. But the, the way that he proposed, you know, and, and God bless his heart, somebody had to do it. He had diagrams, he had stuff that for me right. was so helpful that I was like, whoa, someone saying spirituality and uh, society and your internal experience of being a human and your external being, it's all one thing. And if you can integrate right. it all as one thing, then it stops being different things and you stop having the need to be different characters for it. And you are all just the one that's in all of it, no matter what it is. Right. Um, one, one thing you pointed at, uh, is like, which, or at least how my, my framework then interprets and reflects it is what a blessing to be a guest star on Law and Order. And yet, I'm sure it's easy to understand probably for anybody in other situations too. It's like, yeah, but I still wanna be that guy. You know, right. I'm at the car wash and yeah, but I'm not the manager or, you know, right. I, I, just, I just got a raise. Yeah, but I'm still not that person. Right. Can you, in your own framework, what is the difference between people that live in FOMO, not just the fear of missing out, but the feeling of missing out, that, that literal state of separateness, perpetuity, that they're always feeling that's not now. It's not good. It's not, yeah, but I'm not who I want. Yeah, but this, man, this toast, I burnt the toast. You know what, man, this was not as good as last night's meal. Um, oh man, I wanted the movie to be better and it's like a waste of our money. I shouldn't have done that. Or it's always this narrative that something isn't how it's supposed to be. So they're always missing out on a version of reality that's not present versus right. the person who is embracing life as it is and seeing it, call it holistically, whole as this now present that's perfect. Even if it's maybe now a reflection that there, I want some adjustments but this is perfect. What's the difference? And now you're on set with someone like Ice-T. I'm interested in hearing about that, but what would you say is the difference even in your own journey and then also seeing others as a, as a reflection of your own situation 
internal, external. What's the difference between someone that's Stephen, uh, uh, one more comma, Stephen often, often talked about it as rising sun versus setting sun. It's like you right. can see that you can see the scene the same way from two different perspectives. You know, you're you're dying and you're happy or you're dying and you're sad. Um, what's the in your framework? How, how has that shown itself to you as a lesson or a guidepost as to feeling like something's always missing as to almost? Yeah. What's the difference between missing out on nothing and people that are always missing? I mean, I. I don't think life is black and white, you know. There's gradients there for sure. Yeah, I think there's certain certain aspects of human nature that can be categorized as black and white, and and that are necessary to be black and white. Like, but even you know, I was gonna say like if you kill someone, that's it's wrong and it's not right. But again, if that person is, you know, coming into your house and and creating violence against your family and you stand up for them in your house, you know, it's, it's all gray areas, right? So I don't think there's, in my experience, any person that I've met that is completely Zen and, and completely at ease with everything. And those who are not, and who are always in FOMO, I think it's a mixture of things. I think everyone is in a spectrum. And, uh, you know, I think human nature is by default, contradiction right we live in contradictions we live in paradoxes right paradoxical so i think the 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 feeling of missing out or the fomo that's just ego that's just not not being aware of everything that is and you focusing on something that isn't and i think we all are guilty of it you know like i don't you know i haven't it's not that you figure it out it's just can you stay in the perspective long enough so that you can see it, right? Because I go in and out and some days I'm super grateful and some days I'm like, oh, this is, I, I don't want, you know, I, yes, I want more, but I'm not desperately seeking to get more right now because I'm content. But then some other days I want that thing that's not here. But again, that's part of what's gonna get me to go get that thing and bring it into reality. So it's all part of, like you said, it's all one, you know, it's integration. And I think that, I mean, we live our life with a philosophy that we just coined the integration of work and family, right? Because I grew up in a, in a, in a situation where my father was always gone for on business trips and, you know, doing work and everything. And the family was split there was two directions that the family was going for that reason. And in my line of work, I'm always moving, I'm always traveling, right? I'm always, you know, on a different set in a different country in a different city. And I realized that if I wanted any kind of consistency and stability in my life, I had to somehow integrate my work life and my family life, that it's all one, that we can work together as a family, you know? And, uh, and just by planting that seed in my head every single day and talking about it and writing about it, you know, life started bringing people into my life that showed me that it was possible. Like one of the biggest shows I was on called Coyote, which is on, on I think CBS All Access, the director who was also the executive producer was Michelle McLaren. And she's one of the most successful directors in TV. She was an executive producer for Breaking Bad. She's been a director for uh, Game of Thrones episodes. 
I mean, her, her curriculum goes on and on. And she was on set directing us with a baby, with a six month old baby in her arms, right? Wow. And she was like bouncing the baby and it's like, Octavio, go here, go here, you know? That's when my mind opened up and I was like, no, there's no limitation to that integration. This is the way of the future really, because we are uh, developing a new world, a new system in which that can actually be the norm. Right, that you don't have to leave your kids, which traditionally it's always been, right? I mean, sending your kids to school has been around for 100, 200 years, I don't know how long. But before that, it was a village situation where the parents taught their kids mathematics, astronomy, whatever it is. So I think we're going back to that. And I think that's what we've been doing where I'm not, I'm not paying somebody else to teach my kid things I know that I can teach my kid. And because of the situation that most people are in, they don't have the time to do that. But I, I've been blessed enough as, a, as an actor to be able to work and then stay home for long periods of time and just dive into homeschooling, basically. That's, a, that's such a reflection of the, the, the it's not, a, it's not a breaking of boundaries. It's been a slow dissolving of certain boundaries that society has told us, like, these are these boxes, you gotta you got stay here. Um, and, then there's, and then there's those avant-garde kind of trailblazers that show us, show us in life as permission slips. Nah, that's not, you might've thought that, but you didn't see me yet. And sounds like that lady on set was that. And who, who are some other, um, you know, permission slips that have, which for me and a theme of why I started this, this podcast is that I could not see myself without others to reflect myself back to me, is that that's actually part of my experience of, of what illumination is or what awakening is. It's like you start seeing this, 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 this old line, the deeper and the more I know myself, the more deeply I can know anyone. And um, seeing another as a reflection. So it's like, wow, that's how they're rocking with their situation. Wow, I didn't know that that was even a, a possible posture. Um, and it being, so I wanna, I wanna look at a couple of things. So in, in being a writer, then also being a lead actor, in being a director, but then being a writer, and being this kind of artist that wears multiple hats, but then being a human being that wears different hats. And it's been a, a topic of, of concern over the past you know, while of like, you know, the, the integration of the masculine and feminine, where there's women that are saying, I don't want to be in these old rudimentary, rigid, you know, uh, pathways. And a man saying, I want to be a little bit more feminine and feel. But then also how you're, you know, it's not black and white. There's a spectrum and that can turn into a distortion too and then turn into just, well, I don't want to be any of the things that society wants from me. And then it just turning into a full blast, you know, revolt or rebellion. But it's like at the, at the same time, you got some, you got some responsibilities that you got to knock in and you happen to be in this vessel, I'm in this vessel. This is what comes with that. Um, what are some, because you have a, you know, a child and moving forward into your life, you're going to be a reflection for that person as to what is okay. And obviously 
you know, you and your partner will both be masculine, feminine mirrors for this young being who is blossoming in a world where there's all types of variety. There's everything you can think of. Um, right. Kind of a dual headed question. What's, what's the way that you're feeling called to anchor your family culture with? Like, what is this, this uh, kind of your, your North Star, so to speak, in terms of the variety, in terms of being a reflection to your family? But also, who are people out there? Maybe some inspiring artists that have shown you that permission slip to, uh, you got to be the feminine masculine. You got to be the masculine feminine. The, the man who cries is kind of adored in, in acting. But the man who cries in the world is called, at least in the old world, you know, the past couple hundred years, a man's not supposed to cry. But as an artist, right. you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, that's the that's an idea that's in the way of my evolution. What's, what's a North star for you moving forward with that? And then what are a couple mirrors that have given you that permission? So you said, you said a couple of things, but one of the first things, yeah, we can't, we can't see ourselves, right? We can only know ourselves. And I've known this intuitively since I was a kid, I would look at myself in the mirror and be like, that's not me. That's a mirror, a physical, reflection of me but that's not me right because I would notice there was there was limitation to how I saw myself in the mirror because of the angle right so if I'm looking straight unless I have three mirrors to the side I can't see a certain angle that you can see say when somebody's shooting you know they're, they're taking pictures of you and you don't know and they're from this angle and all of a sudden you see a different version of yourself in that picture that you've never seen because you can't see it through a straight two-dimensional reflection so no matter what um no matter what the reflection was that's what it was it was a reflection whether it's a picture or a film about you or a painting somebody drew a painting that's a reflection of who you, it's not who you are so you can't see yourself but you can see another seeing you and so that has value in itself because there's a blind spot that you can't you can't see even in a car you have mirrors all around but there's still a blind spot that you got to turn your head over to be able to see well you can't turn your head and see yourself so you can only know yourself from the inside out right and that's it, it took me a while because well, not not. Let's integrate into the next question. You talk about the integration of the masculine and the feminine, and, and who you are, and all those varieties. And I think that you can tell who is following their nature, and you can tell who is going from a wound. And I can only speak for myself, right? But I had a specific nature growing up, and then through a wound, that nature got distorted, and the expression of who I am got limited to an idea of who I am. And I was like, no, this is the box that I'm in. This is who I am. So anything, any expression outside of this, it's not who I am, even though the expression of the impulse was natural. And it, it took me a long time to be able to accept all parts of who I am so that I'm able to express that from a natural place and not from a wound place, right? So that happened when my daughter was born. And somebody told me when she was being born, which by the way, in terms of uh, and I was just having a conversation with somebody else. People that I admire and that I that I look up to and that I follow, there isn't one. There isn't one because 
nobody's ever done what I want to do. And that, I think that goes, huh? There's been permission slips though, right? Yeah, yeah. There's been, and, but what I'm trying to say is that there's not, you know, there was somebody who allowed me to be a certain way as an actor. There was somebody who allowed me to be a certain way as a father. There was somebody who allowed me to be a certain way as a Mexican, you know, there's somebody who allowed me to be a certain way as an American citizen, you know. So there's been many, many reflections that have inspired certain parts of me, but there's not been one that has a whole integration. Right, because you're the only one of you. These can only be single angles, really. But I believe that everything, everything that I'm here to do on this earth was already in me since before I was born, right? So it's somebody told me when my daughter was going to be born, they said the tree is already in the seed. All you have to do is water it. You don't have to create a tree. You don't have to, no, the tree was already in the seed. So everything that that seed was supposed to be was already in it. And we just got to make sure the sun is hitting it right and that there's no bugs coming around and that the, the water is, you know, nurturing it. So that goes for everyone. Everything, everyone, even though we're all the same, we're all human beings, we all have a unique spark, right? So we're all here to do something unique and that nobody has ever done before. Nobody will ever do. You are unique in your own way to what you're going to do. Now, there are many parts to that thing, right? There are many uh, bricks to the building. So there's people that have a certain type of brick and you go, oh, I can use that and I can use this. But ultimately, your building is going to be unique to you. So in that sense, my reflections are all disintegrated. I, I, I know people that I respect as an artist that I don't respect as a father, right? I know people that I respect as a father that I don't respect as a businessman. Like my grandfather was a great father. He was a great grandfather. He was a great family man, but, and he, he was just not a good businessman. And he told me many stories and there were lessons in itself. But so there was a part of him that was not integrated that I'm trying to integrate. So I look at other people who inspire me as businessmen who not who necessarily they don't inspire me as family men because they spend all their time in business and their family, you know, everything's failing. And, like say uh, Matthew McConaughey's big uh, big pointer for me in terms of family, in terms of uh, um, balancing work and family. And yet there's some career choices that I don't necessarily uh, admire, right? Or I don't want, that's not me, that's him. And I respect his path. He's taught me certain things in, in, in terms of fatherhood, but it's always from an outside perspective, right? But I think Steven Anderson gave me a big permission slip, um, who's one of my greatest acting coaches. There was, there was an actress I met in a film that I, I don't remember her name right now, but the way she was in the scene, I've never seen in real life an actor conduct themselves in that way, in that, in that, emotionally driven and raw ex, 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 expression and yet so conscious of everything that was going on and so aware and so in control of the business side of it. She was aware of the time the scene was taking place. She was, and she was the lead actor you know, in the, in the movie. So she, she had to have all these different hats. And that's what 
she gave me a permission slip to be able to say, oh, you, you can be an actor and director at the same time. You can go from being highly intellectual and writing and being in that headspace and also being completely emotional and just expressing onto a piece of canvas and also being completely primal and going outside and playing sports, you know, playing soccer with a bunch of guys in the street. And, and, and also, you know, it's all these different things. Oh, you can be everything. You don't have to be a certain way to be like, you know. So I realized that yes, I could cry and I could also get in the ring and fight someone. And I can also, you know, cook a beautiful meal. And I, you know, I, I can be dramatic and I can be comedic at the same time. But for me, it's all the intention behind the expression, right? And there's difference. And I noticed the difference when I directed a film and uh, earlier this year, I, I had a scene, I, had, I wrote the script. So I had written this scene where my character was receiving information and everyone from the producers to the other actors to everyone, they, we all thought that this character needed to break in that moment. And we all thought from an intellectual perspective that the breaking was gonna be crying. Right now, we shot it three times, and when I was editing the film, I realized that the right choice was that he didn't cry when he received the information. Now, me as an actor, I had to go there, and so I used a certain method and I used certain things in my life that brought me to tears. But the things that were bringing me to tears wasn't the same thing as what was bringing the character to tears, right? So for me, what I used was an imagination of my daughter uh, dying, right? And I think so, or some, something that had to do with, with my daughter. So my emotion wasn't about myself, it was about my daughter. Whereas the character was having an emotional reaction to his own life. And so my vulnerability that came from a selfless place didn't fit the emotional, vulnerability that the character needed because he was being selfish. He was being, it was about himself. So the tears have to be different. And so I noticed that yes, crying is, is, is a good thing in acting, but it's the why that is, you know, that paints the picture of who you are. So I don't think there's any right or wrong uh, actions. I think there's only integrative actions or disintegrative actions, right? Like you spoke on holiness or being whole, are they connected or are they disconnected? And you can tell that not intellectually, you can tell when somebody's coming from ego and when somebody's coming from their soul, even in performance, even people that don't understand acting, they don't understand uh, film or anything, they could just, they just, they just tell that guy is being truthful. What are some tells when you see an artist coming from ego or coming from soul or what even how you'd articulate that? I mean, for me, it's a feeling first, but because I'm, I'm, I'm emotional and intellectual at the same time, first it's a feeling and then my intellect goes and dissects, oh, well, this is why logically, I, I don't think he's coming from truth. This is why I feel like he's coming from ego. And again, I've seen two actors in the same scene, one of them be completely 
big and circus-like and, and the other one be completely still and no show off, no nothing. And yet both are real and both are true. So it's, it's, it's very it's subjective. Tricky. It's very subjective, but I think truth, it's a feeling and you can just, you can just, you can just feel it. You can, you know, even when it comes to music or singing, you know, yes, there's subjective. Some people like this type of music, some people, but when that singer hits that note, everyone in the audience, regardless of their subjective perspective, just goes crazy. You can just feel it when that, that person just reaches that soulful note. And that soulful is pure truth, pure spirit, right? I think it goes that it goes to to anything, you know, to, to writing, to painting. You can just tell when there was when the ego was in the mix and nah, those colors were like it's too thought off, it's too it's too constructed, it's not freely expressed. Okay, I got a I got a bridge from that to another, yeah. I think a I think a deepening of that same river water there. Um so you hit so let's say the the singer hits the note. But if that singer's not crafted straight up, just calibrated as a vocal, like their vocal ability isn't craft and they don't know about the, you know, but they can't think about it in that moment. So they release in that moment. And in that moment, it hit this and everyone uh, converges their awareness on a single molecular point of attention and if it's a stadium everyone disappears into that moment together so me and i know a handful of other people call that zero pointing well there's a zero point it's 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 the it's a it's a point in the nearby area that evaporates everything else because this point is where it comes from and it's so powerful that I think it's love. I think it's a fur, it's a version of love that deteriorates all other anything and brings everyone's attention to this moment. All of a sudden, you're 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 out in the woods and you're you're fighting, you know, bad guys, and all of a sudden you hear a baby cry, you know, or uh whatever, just an example of like a sound yeah. that can go zoop. And it brings everyone's attention there. So that that is one term, and it's an idea called zero point or zero pointing. Um, the other aspect of this, and I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about it at some point, but this is amazing author and one of her books, author named Ayn Rand, and the book's called Fountainhead. Mm-hmm. And this is something that it's funny because I've leaned in my pops about this, and I'm like, do you know who you are? And he's like, of course, you know. It's like, there's one level where it's like, of course I know who I am, but there's another level that I think comes with being that, that you can't know. And it's almost like you don't even want to know too much about who maybe other people think you are. And you can know to an extent, but where the love is, is in being the zero point. And I don't want to have too much attention on what other people think of me, because that's, that's almost like, that's almost like the crack cocaine for the ego. And I think I've, I've been very attentive to that moment where I see a soul choose to push that egoic opportunity away. I'm, I've been very interested in that. It's been, been something that really drove me to Bruce Lee. I saw this way he felt it for me. It was a feeling. It was a feeling of like, whoa, he's a badass, but there's something about his cocky badass that's not, it's not, it's a feeling. It's not a weirdo bad turnoff cocky confidence it's something that's like and that's his that's a soul 
moment or something like that. So this baton I want to give back to you is it's on the, it's on the idea of being a fountainhead because let's, let's be honest, there's a spectrum of humanity. And I, I had a session recently and, and someone was saying, um, you know, I, there were, you know, the question was something around purpose, you know, and, and fulfillment and, and acknowledging, and we talked about this too, being boots on the ground, acknowledging it's okay that I'm not fulfilled, I'm not satisfied, I'm hungry, I'm determined, I'm actually frustrated, and I'm, I'm the furthest thing from content. And that's actually fantastic because at least me being clear about it, I cannot utilize that fire and create steam and move forward towards something. But if you're gonna deny that you're frustrated or deny that you're not satisfied, to me, I think it's an actual toxic state because it's, it's the state of denial. Um, this person was making a reference to saying like, well, there's, yeah, there's God in everyone. There's a God, there's, there's God, there's spirit, there's soul. There is the divine in all beings, of course, yes. And we bow to that. And I'm a little bit more activated and turned on by Bruce Lee than I am by Joe Schmo on the sidewalk there with the please give me some quarters cup in his hand. And, I, and I've coming from someone who has sat down next to many of those Joe Schmoes whatever their names are and sit down and be like, yo, how'd you get here? And maybe for whatever reason, my heart is called to give them a dollar or I've, I've given, I've given everything I've had in certain moments because for whatever reason I saw that soul was way more in need of it than me. And so that was a moment for me to, you know, change that energy. But as an artist, and we're talking about as a father, we're talking about as a human, there is a spectrum of those who inspire us. And some people don't inspire us at all actually we're 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 deactivated by them and you we were talking you were just kind of articulating around um you know truth you know what 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 a subjective conversation this can become quickly about something that can ultimately be determined as an objective can't be subjective about it it's almost in the definition of it but this term that I got from this book by Ayn Rand called Fountainhead. The term is Fountainhead. And in the book, she articulates this very vivid scenario in society where there's these artists that are, you know, uh, bragging about who has done what and so concerned with the hierarchy and the status. And they live in this world of, of comparison and, and it's industry and it's, uh, you know, it's a belonging thing. It's about who's, who's belonging. It's society, it's relationships. And, and they're all what she calls second-handers. And in the movie Blade Runner, I would call them, it's a, obviously a different scenario, but I'd call them replicants. Because there's a scenario where someone is so in touch with their soul and so driven, not by society. Society is a reflection and it's influencing them for sure but they're driven by something inside of them that no one else can ever see ever know ever hear taste or touch but it's this intangible invisible place that whispers scream loud messages into their soul and they have to follow that compass and when they follow that compass they create something and they have to share it with the world it's the only point i'm not creating this to keep it to myself how how tragic would it be if van gogh or or da vinci or Picasso or Basquiat just lit a, lit a flame to every one of the things that they had created as soon as it's not the point. The point is in sharing it, but not right. in sharing it. There's a paradox here and I'm almost done with the baton. 
Yeah. What's, what is this place that magnetizes someone to be great? And what's your relationship with that place in face of those who would act like they are it, but in that invisible moment, there are those who pretend and there are those who are really it. There are those who are the wolf for real. And there are those who are wearing like, you know, a Halloween onesie costume with, you know, of the wolf and it's a cotton Pokemon wolf. And it's like, oh, I'm the wolf. Um, what's your relationship with that place that is, I mean, it's, it's where samurai warriors are born, but it's also where yogis are born. It's where the, it's where the pure artist, I, I feel, and it's in this relation, I'm, I'm not asking anybody this, I'm asking you this as, as my brother that I've seen move into this space of like, I don't wanna just make good art. Like, yeah, there's stuff that I'm gonna do that's probably gonna be solid, but there's this critique, there is this awareness of self and self's potential. And I'm, 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 I'm also gentle about not grasping or clinging to it but I'm building some kind of a relationship with that space of what is the most powerful thing that I could be connected to? What is the most potent art that wants to move through me? I wanna, I wanna spend my time in a useful way. I wanna, I wanna do something of meaning that, that lights me up or whatever. What is your relationship with that fountainhead space and the second-hander space or that replica space? Uh, well, it's the space every single day of my life I'm trying to reach. It's, 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 you know, my, my daughter's learning how to play the piano right now and, and it's either in tune or it's out of tune. And you can, she doesn't know yet. She doesn't know how to read music. She doesn't know these things, but the little that she knows, if she hits the wrong note, she just knows. She's like, no, that wasn't it. It just doesn't sound right. You know, it just, when it's it, and it's supposed to be the next note. And not every note's the same. Not every song's the same. It has a bunch of different notes, you know, infinite notes. But you could just tell, no, nah, that wasn't that wasn't on beat. That wasn't on tune. And if it was purposeful, then you can be off beat. Then that's the purpose, right? But I think you got to know what being in tune means, what being aligned means to be able to play with the out of tune part of it. Because I feel like, like I, like I said, it's a spectrum and it's a contradiction, right? Because I've been in that space and I've also been the replicant, the, the I think you called them replicants, right? Yeah, the, the wannabe. Right, the wannabe, I've been both, you know? It doesn't define who I am, who I am has, I've always been who I am since day one, but I'm either in tune with who I am or I'm out of tune. And for the first 25 years of my life, I didn't know I was out of tune. I was playing the song of who I am, but I was out of tune. Nobody had shown me, this is what being in tune feels like. This is what being in tune sounds like. And it's still, a, you know, like you don't play the guitar for a couple months, even if nobody touches it, it's gonna be a little out of tune. That's just the nature of, of instruments, right? we, this, this human vessel, and not just the physical part, but the emotional, the intellectual, all of it, is an instrument for the, for, the, for the universe to play its music, right? And so if you're not constantly playing, if you're not constantly trying to be in tune, you're gonna be out of tune, and you're not gonna be in that flow state. And that flow state 
you know, in a song, you got many different instruments, right? Sometimes you got a guitar solo. Sometimes you got somebody singing. Somebody, when that person's singing, you don't want the guitar solo to go and say, you know, that wouldn't be in tune. That wouldn't be a line, right? So there's times when you're called to be in the one that speaks. And then there's times when you're called to be in the one that listens. Both are in tune if that's what's being called. But if both are talking at the same time or both are just listening at the same time, there's no music, right? So it's all, it's, it's, it's all an ebb and flow. And it's, no, it's like, I think about when I played basketball. There was times when the buzzer was about to ring and it was like 10 seconds in the, in, the, in, the, in the thing. And I get the ball and I know the right thing is to shoot. The more generous thing would be to pass it to someone, right? Nobody wants to be a, you know, what do you call it? The, the ball hog? Nobody wants a hog, yeah, a ball hog. Nobody wants to be a ball hog. But in that moment, you know you got the shot and you know the right things for you to take that shot, even if you miss it. But you know, ego comes in and says, no, you, you're gonna be a ball hog and if you miss, no, and all of a sudden you pass the ball and then that extra pass ran the buzzer and boom, there's no shot. So you did the right thing, but it wasn't the right thing in the moment. It wasn't the most in tune in the moment. So we go back to not being, there's no black and white, there's no right or wrong because the right thing can be the wrong thing at the right time. But but there but there but there is an alignment and the environment right. will always reflect back to us the alignment like you right. you did follow the, the the call to bring some tears forth but then in the edit you're like yeah but that's not the right choice so there is at some point uh and I, I, you'll like where I I take this because we've been talking about you know philosophical artistic all this stuff up here right. but let's talk about the practicality of physical health alignment. Right. Because right. you talk about you didn't know you were not in tune. Well, I'm pretty sure both of us at some uh, mine was my 24th year. I almost died is what I felt like. I had Epstein Barr came from mono. I pulled my Achilles. I, I tried to get back to I tried to get back to working out first day on the bench press. Oh, I'm gonna give. Oh my God! I almost dropped the bar on me. Um, right. My uh, uh, a disc in my neck popped out or my spine or whatever and. I had a neck brace on. I was like, it was a reflection to me that whatever I've been doing, nothing matters if I don't have my physical well-being. My literal physical body was missing right. alignment. And this right. led me to yoga. This led me to herbs. This led me to looking at what GMO, I didn't even know what non-GMO meant. Um, right. What has been your journey, or I, I'll say it, what has been your health enlightenment like main i mean i know in the past literally couple of years you've been going through a physical well-being transformation you've been learning about things you've been going through a healing of of investigating and looking at probably stuff that you never looked at before but the pain got so intense that it made you look at it so um how does that connect to everything you can't make no art if you you know freaking physical pain you can't even think about creating um where are you now with your physical health and your health journey and your What's the what's the wisdom you've learned in your health journey, specifically with nur you know nourishment, nutrition, and um, yeah, physical health? Well, I think somebody said because I've been on a on a health journey for about seven, eight years, which also got triggered by an injury. Um, I, I I pulled a disc. I, I got a herniated disc that was pinching my sciatic nerve all down to my toe and. 
I couldn't move for like a year and a half. I was literally on the floor with ice packs on my back. It was bad. And that literally forced me to study the body, study um, all different processes and how to heal myself because I didn't want to, it was right around the time that I was, the, my daughter was born and I didn't want to be in a hospital bed when she was born. I didn't want to go through surgery and have to do physical therapy for all those months. So I, I had to put in the work before that. And I found, luckily because of the internet, I found other people who had healed themselves with the same issues that I had. So they gave me hope and they gave me a, a, a light post, right? But I would say I'm still trying to figure it out. And somebody said, I can't remember who it was. They said, as long as the environment is sick, we're always gonna be fighting for our health. Right. No matter what you do inside of your body, it's not going to matter if the environment is sick, if the soil is toxic, if the, you know, the air we breathe is toxic, if the, the things that are going into the fruits, like somebody said, there is no 100% non-GMO food anymore. There is no organic food unless you're growing it in a greenhouse, because even if it's organic, even if the seeds are not hybrid, even if, you know, the soil and the rain that falls upon the food is still filled with all these toxins. So there's no, unless you're growing it in the greenhouse, it's not 100% organic or non-GMO, but you try your best because you're in this mitigation and you're trying to get to that place of being in tune. And there's so many environmental toxins that are constantly attacking us that we just gotta every day, like they say, if you're not getting healthier, you're getting sicker, right? If you're not getting stronger, you're getting weaker. And I mean, the first part of my life first 10 years of my life were all dependent on my, my parents, what my parents, what kind of food they got, what kind of water supply they have, what kind of environment they provided, right? But then after, you know, I left my house when I was like 14 years old. Since then, I've been on my own in terms of taking care of my own temple, my own body. And I wasn't for the, for the next 15 years. I just, you know, I was destroying my body. I was, I was smoking cigarettes. I was drinking alcohol. I was staying up late. I was not sleeping right. I was, you know, I was working out consistently, but I didn't know that I had all these kinks and all these muscle knots and all these nerve impingements. And so I was building muscle, which just means I was tensing up around these injuries that were unhealed, you know, because I played sports when I was a kid and I loved going full force you know, playing soccer, basketball, whatever it was, and not stretching at the end. You know, when, when, when the coach would be like, oh, it's time for warm-up, I'd be dilly-dallying. I was like, yeah, warm-up, whatever. Give me the ball. I want to go in. Or afterwards, I'm done with the game. I'm going to go hang out. And I didn't stretch, right? So you just walk in, and you're, over the years, you become this, this tense rubber thing. And then you try to build strength on top of it. It's going to collapse into a herniated disc. You know, that's going to push you. It's like, yo, you got to... You gotta do a little more subtle like yoga stuff that stretches the body first and do a lot. Of, I did a lot of muscle work. I went to chiropractors, I went to uh, acupuncturists, anything that could help me get aligned. And I'm still going, I'm still dealing with kinks that would probably stem from 10 year injuries that I didn't look at. Um, yeah, I think that answers the question. I think this is an interesting Again, the term mirror for me is just the most helpful. Uh, it's an interesting mirror of like, we're talking about art, which can become such a conversation of subjectivity. But like, as you know, someone that I look 
look to as a mirror is Kanye, also Cuddy, also Pharrell, but also my dad. Um, I love this story and I've heard him tell it in a variety of settings, but it's always the same setting of, you know, one of the greatest pieces of art that's ever moved through him is a song called Stranglehold. And it's like eight, it's like eight minutes long. And literally you go on Spotify, it's like the song that's most played on his thing. Matthew McConaughey has actually said that it's his favorite song. Um, It's all these different ways that it shows up in society. And I think such an interesting mirror of my dad's essence because the story is, is that he did it and it was like his full passion. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a five minute guitar solo in the middle of the song with, you know, a hook on the other side of it, but it's like five minutes of just instrumentation and, and it's poetic. I mean, it's not even, it barely sounds like rock. It's like almost some kind of jazz, like, you know, elongated, soliloquy of instrumentation and it's just a funky groove anyways he tells a story of how the uh you know the band and the manager and like the agent one day like can you come you know in the studio and meet with us and he sits down and it's like an intervention and they're like you know say we think it's a great song but it's just too long and we don't think it can make it on the album and he was just like you know i don't know what exactly i'm not gonna attempt to quote or whatever like that um but he was basically like fuck you people this is exactly how it's going to be don't you dare touch it um i'll i'm i might actually go to prison for murder if you try to fuck with this perfect piece of fucking art you fucking idiot imbecile this is you know and he in the whole you know volcano the buffalo he, he talks about the buffalo energy as as a as a big reflection of his 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 essence and it's just like there's a storm there yeah, fuck that storm, and I'm walking into it. And he's also talked about bandmates telling him that he should change things, and he's literally, you know, he's talked about punching people in the face for arguing with him about whether an art piece should change. Now, this is obviously very subjective because he's a very subjective person, but I also look at how stories about how Kanye's been, and I haven't been in a creative setting with with him yet, but it's like there is a moment where as an artist, it's not subject, it's, it's the subjective and the objective merge. The craft and the art merge. Your idea of what you think is good and what's actually needed merge. There isn't two options. There isn't a spectrum. There's, there's nothing but this right here and it's the choice. And it's like, I'm either gonna shoot this or I pass it and that in the, in the moment, I'm gonna look back on that moment as like, I'm, when you were telling me the story about the buzzer beater, you know, do I pass it moment? I have these experiences, which I would call them traumas from my, my, my high school path of playing basketball, where because of my nerves, I, in a moment of wanting to be, I got so overwhelmed. I remember passing the ball to the referee one time and, <laughs> and, and, and just being like, because the crowd was going crazy and I was coming off the bench. I was a junior and it was on varsity for like, two games and I was like this is my chance this is my chance okay 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 yeah and I didn't think I wasn't present I didn't make the right choice it was the wrong choice now yes in the grand scheme of looking at my spiritual journey it was the perfect thing because I needed that experience fantastic that's the integral lens but if we're talking about what's helpful and not helpful that shit was not helpful we talk about the body just straight up I don't need to hit the bench press right now. My shit is broken. There is a right and a wrong and it's 
and obviously, you know, I'm a, a yoga teacher and a trauma therapist. There's, there's an incredible spectrum of gentle recognition of like, man, it's so not black and white. You know, that person didn't know that they were hurting you. And mm, we don't need to blame. It's uh, find, find the in-between, find the happy medium. It's yes. And this is part of the paradox because in some moments there is no black and white. In other moments, right. there's only black and white. So right. this is also right. part of the reflection as well. But coming saying all that scenario to come back to the body and to say man when you're when you're right here with the cup about to enter and all of a sudden your stomach rumbles you can kind of either a listen or b ignore it and then a you got to listen then a, a week later or or don't or then you're in the hospital and then you say all right i think i'm going to listen now but um, I think that's an interesting metaphor for this like subjective objective, right, wrong, black, white, only in the gray area kind of conversation. Because, um, you know, as artists, it's like uh, to, you know, to put dairy in the coffee or no dairy in the coffee or to no right. coffee or coffee. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know what the baton is there, but it feels just like an interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said something about the connection of health and art, and you can't, you can't, you can't create if you're broken, right? I mean, I, I literally couldn't paint when my back was was out when I had the hernia discs. I couldn't stand. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do anything but just lay down, right? But if if and if we go back to the original definition of what being an artist is, that it's not just creating art, but that your whole life is an art piece that driving down the street is an art piece and how you drive and how you know everything has an intention that's higher than itself then the expression is not limited to painting or to write because when i was on the floor i was still creating i have scenes in scripts that i've written that come from the time that i was on the floor and i couldn't move right so the expression still happened meaning like you can't you can't stop the expression, but obviously it's all about, are you enjoying the dance or are you not? Because you know we think, oh, we're dancing for other people. We're, we're making art for other people. We're singing for other people. That's part of it. You need an audience, yes. Otherwise, what's the point? But the other part is for you to enjoy it. You enjoy expressing yourself. You enjoy painting. You enjoy writing. You enjoy telling stories. You enjoy singing. You enjoy rapping. You enjoy creating whatever it is you enjoy expressing it it's the, it's the whole health, it, it's the whole thing of uh is it a means to an end or is it an end itself is it the are you overvaluing the end result or are you enjoying the process i think it's both right i think it's everything in life is the paradox and the contradiction and it is and it isn't right but i think that it's specifically for art part of it is yes a lot of there's a lot of artists that i admire and i've been that type of artist in the past where you gotta sacrifice yourself in order to make good art, right? If you're not sacrificing your life, if you're not sacrificing yourself, if you're not going to the depths of who you are and putting yourself at risk, if you're not doing your own stunts, then you're not a real actor, right? I've had that mentality before, but now I come from a place where, yeah, yeah, the, the outcome is important. Obviously we're giving a message to people, but it's also about the expression. And if you don't have health, you can't, ex you can't enjoy the expression. I know from a personal experience, right? So yeah, you can still give the message, but if you're sacrificing your health, your mental states, you're, you know, you're in a, now everyone has mental health issues because, you know, I used to stay up all night writing. 
but then I, I wouldn't be functioning well the next day and I would have to drink coffee. And then I drank so much coffee that I couldn't sleep. So I would just stay up lighting. And then I had to drink more. But then the art was hindered by my lack of health, basically, because the health brought the consciousness because I had to worry about too many other things other than just what was happening itself. So very, very specific baton. How has being a father forced you to end those unproductive, unsustainable habits? Not just being a father, right? Because I, I know, and this is not to judge anyone, but I know people that just, they just, it's the work. The work is the highest priority, right? And so they'll sacrifice fatherhood and they'll sacrifice being present with their kids for the work. Now, the way that I approach everything, fatherhood is priority, right? That's my biggest ask, uh, 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 artistic project or masterpiece or whatever you want to call it. Um, and if I don't have my health, if I don't have my mental peace, I can't be a father the way that I want to be, which is present, playful, loving, conscious, and yet creating structure and discipline and all these other seemingly contradictory things that really just blend into one. I can't be that if I'm falling asleep or if I have pain in my back. I can't sit with my daughter and play for a long time if I'm constantly switching positions because I'm, I'm uncomfortable. So then in order for me to be the best father I can be, my health has to be a priority, right? My, my mental health, my physical health, my emotional, my hormonal, everything has to be top notch so that I don't have to worry about myself. And I've always known that, that everything I learned in my health journey was going to help other people in the future. But I wasn't gonna get to a place where I could share that knowledge until I, I don't need any help. Because if I need help, then why am I helping other people? And I see it all the time in the world. I see all these people that are constantly trying to help people, but they need help. And that's, you know, they're trying to help people because they feel good about helping people, not because that's truly what they're called to, because obviously what they're called to is to help themselves, right? So in, in, something, you know, something there that goes all the way back to where a while ago, which is like, um, are they coming from a wound or are they coming from the soul? Which right. if the soul, if you're coming from the soul, I can't help nobody. I gotta, my, I'm bleeding. I gotta tend to this. Right. My soul right. needs my body. But right. if you're coming from that wound and in denial of it, you are really living with those kind of blinders on and not in a good way, not like a Kobe Bryant type of blinders on. Right, right, right. But, but in, a, in a way of like, well, shoot, dot, dot, dot. But this'll, this sidebar scenic route here will... Um, It'll, it'll actually get back to this, but it's really the theme of this podcast. It's why I got led to do this podcast because I have these conversations with people and I can't talk without being spiritual because it's not spiritual right. to me. I, I right. started saying it in 2021. I said, there's no such thing as spirituality. Shut the fuck up. There's no such thing as spiritual. Oh, it's my, oh you're spiritual. What the fuck are you talking about? You're Wait, not- To take it back. To take it back to Steven Anderson, he told me this quote that when he was on a spiritual journey, he traveled the world to, to Tibet or to wherever searching for this 
this Rumpa, this, 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 this mystical teacher that's supposed to have the answers of the universe. And he went over and he finally met him. And he said, please, what do you have to say to me? Say, tell me, what is the truth? What is God? What does it mean in life? And the guy just bent down and hit him in the head with his head. He bumped him. And that was the, that was the greatest spiritual teaching that he got. That was it. Like, Amazing. it's here. There's no words to stop Amazing. thinking about it. All right, perfect. So, and you go to Joe, you know, Buckingham on the, on the side of the road there over by the gas station, living in the alley with his own shopping cart. And you ask Joe, hey, man, what's the meaning of life? And he might just say, can you give me a dollar? But if you travel right. to that Rinpoche, you travel to this, you know, Rumpa teacher, Shifu out in the mystics, and he freaking headbutts you, it's a pretty profound thing. And what that does is I would say it's a quantum mirror. And a real embodied soul is, and this is a selfish philosophy plug moment, but it's also the intention here. And when I interface with somebody that is, is bright and is living a beautiful embodied life, my inner child, and ever since I was young, I'd stare at it and I'd be like, what's the difference? Those people are unhappy. That person is really lit up. Huh? I was, I was phenomenally confused by it and it led to this journey of me seeking out what is the difference so fully reflective you say you know Stephen goes and it's this, this dude can you imagine Fah! headbutt you what an incredible you're going home I mean I'm sure Stephen tells this story all, often he's probably told yeah. that story of that since that's happened because it's such a profound here's the term reflection because it says yeah. Stop looking out there. It's right here, dummy. It's right. it's right underneath this this hard skull thing you got. Um, but but the the baton of of we started going and then the baton of it is you know someone that's that's in denial. They're not they're not living a fun life. And if they're if they're trying to serve from the ego and trying to serve because they want that social validation, you know I'm here to help people. It's what I'm really called to. Yeah, but then every night when you go to sleep, you're actually depressed when you wake up in the morning. And then as soon as you are, are able to serve someone else, you put on this persona of serving, but it's not from that zero point soul self. And so what you pointed at with that whole thing of like, to me, that's not fully reflective. When someone is taking care of them, you know, who's some, who's someone who's fully reflective to me, Tony Robbins, which I'm not essentially like, an immediate follower of her of his lineage but that that dude is serving and he's serving because he's taken care of when someone's really taken care of then they can really show up and take care of others yeah and I, i'll i'll say something here because yes i if i read something that he said it's great i just don't particularly enjoy his expression you know i think he's a little too the delivery you know, but that's the delivery but that's my subjective experience right, right? right i think right. that that that's it's it's tricky to say to people because now where i live is if i don't enjoy it if it doesn't excite me if i don't enjoy doing the thing i'm not going to do it yeah it's just you know there's other purpose to do it but i've gotten to a place in my life where i can make that choice now i can't tell the the joe Schmo or whoever that needs a dollar i'll just do things because you enjoy them because he's in a position in life, in this system, in this world, where he can't do that. And it took me 30 years to be able to get to a 
into a position where I can. So now I've always done things because I enjoy them, right? When I was very young, I was, I was invited to a stage. You know, I'm talking like 12, 13 years old. And it was the first time that I, 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 I acted in a play. There was something that happened when I was on that stage that I just fell in love with. I said, this is amazing, right? But for where, you know, I, I grew up in Tijuana and it just the, the environment that I grew up in to say that you were gonna be a, a working actor, it was not realistic. And everyone shut that idea down, right? So it took me a long time to be able to accept that's what I wanna do. I wanna be an actor. I wanna be in film. I wanna, I wanna paint for a living. I wanna write script. I wanna tell stories for a living. That's what I wanna do. So I started seeing people that were doing it. And I realized that that's, that's what I wanna do. But where I was, it was gonna take a long time for me ever to do it. And it was gonna take a lot of sacrifice and a lot of you know, pain, sweat and tears to be able to do what I wanted to do. Right, work, washing dishes, parking cars, going to a country where I had no family, I didn't know anyone, learning a language, like all the things that I had to do to make this reality happen were not enjoyable per se, but they were helping me break free from that system, right? So if you're still doing it, if, if you're still washing dishes to get that paycheck, to pay rent, to be able to stay in this city, to be able to go to auditions, the purpose of it all is to get to a place where you can do what you enjoy and you can get paid for it or you can make, you can make a living out of it. So now washing dishes becomes enjoyable because you're aligned with that purpose. But if you're just washing dishes because you're just trying to survive and you have no goal, you have no purpose, then that experience can become suffering. Right. So you can't tell that person, oh, just go do what you enjoy and make a living up of it. Because it's going to take 20 years to be able to do that. Just because the system is not set up like that. Right. Most people in society are not doing what they enjoy. Very few people are truly following their bliss. And those people are usually not calling the shots. And you can tell the people in, in, in power, some of them you know, are smiling. Some of them are good actors, but some of them look miserable. Some of them look depressed. Some of them, some of them look unhealthy, right? But those are the gatekeepers of society that we are born into it. So if they're not following the bliss, we can't just follow the bliss because we're, we're within the system. We got to be able to get to a point within the system or outside of the system where we're, and that's going to take like 20 years of sacrifice. There's a, a system. There is an escape route which again, Bruce Lee, the way out is through. Right. Uh, a dear mentor of ours, Colleen talks about boots on the ground, seeing the right. divinity, seeing the spiritual in the mud, seeing, right. seeing the divinity in the, the, the mundane and the ordinary, the extraordinary in the ordinary, which to me, that's the, you were talking about it and you, know, you got to remind yourself of why you're doing the dishes. But if you don't have connection to that purpose of why you're, what, what are you really moving towards? Then this is all there is. That's enough to make somebody go nuts. I have, I have a good one. One of the main um, conflicts I had with this film that I directed, because I was hired to direct it. It wasn't my original idea. So I didn't have full creative say. One of the big issues I had was through film, I like to show the ordinary of life, right? My favorite filmmakers from Andrei Tarkovsky to Belatar to Terrence Malick to 
the list goes on and on. They they find the spiritual in the mundane. They find the, the divine in the worldly. You know, so now a scene about somebody washing dishes, that can be so mystical if it's captured right. So my goal as a filmmaker has always been that. And I try to do it with this film. And the conflict was that the, the, the investors, which were also the executive producers, they were so caught up in the story. There's no point to waste five minutes in watching this person wash dishes because it doesn't it doesn't promote the, it doesn't move the story forward. Well, you apply that to life. They live in the story. They're not in the moment. They don't see that washing the dishes can be as magical as making an art piece or making love to your lover or going for everything has the mystical within it, right? And so because they don't live their life like that, they obviously can't see that a film can be successful and can be a good film if they just see it as a waste of scene. Right, but it's being able to see that and integrate that where it's not just in art, but it's in everything you do in life. And now, you know, talking to you, I'm doing it because there is enjoyment here. There's sure there's a purpose for a podcast to give out a message to give, but I've had many, many invitations to do podcasts, I've had many interviews. I don't necessarily enjoy talking to that person that much. So talking to them for an hour and a half, mm, uh, sure, can the message, the message is gonna get out no matter what, whether I write it in a, in a, on, a, on a tweet or I write it into a script or I paint the painting or, or I speak to you, the message is gonna get out. Do I enjoy doing the, the activity that partakes in expressing the message? That's my question now, because I'm in a position where I can do that, you know? so. Yes, we're speaking about things that people might benefit, whether it's I'm giving my testimony in health or whatever, but I also enjoy talking to you about these things. So it's, it's, it really boils down to, do you enjoy doing that thing or not? Because if you enjoy it, that's your bliss. And that, the bliss is the greatest, uh, the greatest wink of the universe telling you you're aligned with the purpose. You're in tune. Love that. That's a great statement. Um in this online course that moves through me, we talk about it as dissolving the three and the four, which you could call the three-dimensional space that we live in, that we navigate with our body and as our body, space, space is three-dimensional, width, up and down, height, and back and forward depth. And then time is the thing that gives us this sense of continuity within this space. But when we're really doing something we love, what space? There is no space. We merge that space. So in this uh, almost near 90 minutes. And it's, Sorry, and it, my, my computer's running out of battery. Oh, I, I know that jazz. That's a great jazz. This is live jazz here, folks. The, the modern day jazz dance of where's my charger? Got it. You keep going. Well, cool, cool metaphor too, because you don't charge your batteries. You can't use the thing that you want to you know, use. Um, right. Uh, man, my, uh, my, my closest proximity, divine mirror, goddess, priestess, best friend, Belle and I were talking about that last night, actually, where it's like, it's so easy to just take the relationship for granted and just use it and be like, yeah, it's great. And then all of a sudden we come to the, you, someone comes to a moment where you want to use your car and you just want to drive but you haven't changed the oil in five months, bro. 
Oh, your oh, your tire's flat. Mm. Man, I'm gonna be super strong. Yeah, when was the last time you stretched your neck? Right. And it's in these moments where we get reflected back to us if we haven't been present with the thing that nourishes the thing that we want to use. Right. I want to just I want to just paint. Well, yeah, paint. Go ahead, but you can't paint what you want to paint because when was the last time you ever painted? There's that reflection. So, so in 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 closing, okay, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say because I was I I deal with my daughter a lot, right? In that sense, like she does these things that are a complete pure expression of her spirit. I'm like, that's beautiful. Can you do it again? Let me let me capture her on camera, and she can't do it, right? So you know, when you talk about acting, you always want to get to that state of innocence, of, of childlike expression. But if you put a kid in front of a camera, they don't have the craft. So in order for that expression from your spirit to happen, you got to develop, I would say, 10,000 hours or 20 years of craft to be able to just let the brush go. You know, like people love Basquiat. And, they, and some people that don't know art, they'll look at Basquiat and be like, That's, a child can paint that. What is that art? But when you really understand the craft and the way, what it takes to bring that brush that effortlessly over to make this color and those, to combine those colors, it takes so much craft. So it takes a lot of time of doing things that don't bring enjoyment to be able to do that one thing, that one moment, to be able to get the ball at the buzzer and make the shot with 50,000, people in the, in the crowd screaming and you know yeah you when you were a kid you were doing it effortlessly and you were always in the floor you were always in tune and just, you didn't care until you had to do it now we have to develop this craft to be able to get to that point of not caring but now you've cared so much that you don't have to care it just comes through in in closing although we've already said it maybe 15 different times in different ways, which is the perfect version of it. What does that mean to you, to be fully reflective? To be fully reflected or reflective? Yeah, very different. I would say fully reflective. Um, to be so mentally clear that my baggage isn't coming in between what our other being is needing reflection of, right? Um, whether consciously or unconsciously, and that takes the daily work of sitting down and watching the mental chatter slowly dissipate so that you're able to be that clear, pristine mirror. I mean, that's what acting is, right? Acting is a reflection. You, there's no initiation. There's an energy back and forth, a ping pong, right? They're gonna cut from you to cut to them, to cut to them, to cut. And the energy has to be bouncing back. So if you're coming in with a bunch of stuff, the energy is gonna get, it's not gonna flow as good. It's not gonna go back and forth. It's gonna get caught up in your own psyche. And the same with reflection. So I think being reflective is being, it's funny, in the name of Bruce Lee is being like water. It's being crystal clear, it's being, clean, in tune, ready to be played, ready for the music to flow back and forth. Couldn't have said it better. Um, man, I love this. I love being able to, to jazz with you in this format. I love you. 
these are precious conversations and yes yeah man so much so much coming up and uh, i look forward to sharing all the stuff that we we're going to be alchemizing together and that's another conversation but um anything in closing anything you want to bring attention to where can people find more about what you're doing um yeah i mean we can keep talking about this forever right because people have been talking about it forever because what we're pointing at doesn't it can it cannot be contained within words right or so, time or time you can make you know you can make as many paintings as you want and write as many poems as you want and you're still not going to get to the thing so we can talk about it forever um in terms of my my work you can find me on instagram octavio pisano or twitter although i don't really use twitter that much um you know i and again, I, I don't post, I always have the intention behind my posts as if I die, because sometimes sometimes I'll go to people that passed away and I'll go to their Instagram and I'll look at the, and I've never looked at their page before because they passed away, they're in my consciousness. So I'll look, all of a sudden I get their whole life and everything. So I, I'm realizing now that every time I post, I post as if I'm gonna die tomorrow. And what would the person that come to my page see? Would they get a, a clear understanding of who I am? Or is it just a, you know, what is it? And sometimes I look at it as a gallery, right? That's like things that I like. And, but yeah, you can find my work there. And uh, yeah, that's true. Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you for joining me here today in this way. Um, appreciate you. I feel like there's gonna be another great check-in on this format at another time, but I feel like that concludes this, uh, this chapter. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, bro. Yeah, bro. Thank you. Have an amazing rest of your day. And uh, we'll talk more soon about all these creative things that are blossoming. Yes, sir. Cool. Blessings. Thank you all for joining. You too, brother. See you soon. Bliss.